Hello and welcome to Behind the Bar of A Bind of Cthulhu. Today we have Jack from... Now you're going to have to tell me how to say this properly, but I've always said it's Caesar. Caesar's correct, yeah. Like the Emperor, or the Palace, or the Salad. Nice one. And you are the rules editor and one of the writers for Doomsong, yes? Yes, I'm the, uh, I'm the games guy. <laughs> The games guy. Uh, although that um, we do always sort of advertise as that. Uh, I do the gamesy bit. Chris does the the artsy bit, and Morgan does the the writingy bit. But uh, when you're all sort of in the same office, there's definitely a lot of bleed over from from all all sections. So I will say essentially, I didn't do all of the the game design. I just did the bits that you like. Anything you don't like will be Chris and Morgan. Uh, blame it on them. Exactly. <laughs> Fair play. Well, we'll start off with the first question, like we always do. What would you say if you were handed a pint of Cthulhu? What would be in the drink? Oh, I think it would be truly bottomless, which you would think would be excellent at first. You think, oh, a bottomless drink—that's that's nice. But the bottomlessness nature of it would send you slowly mad whatever it was filled with would would just never never drain and though you'd spend year upon year trying to investigate this drink trying to find out what what could possibly be at the bottom what kind of secrets could be concealed within such a tankard it would elude you and you would die a broken broken shell of a human being I think that's an excellent answer. <laughs> that's dark as well. It's excellent. I love it. It's great. I mean, that's the first time we've ever had someone like not say a drink, but give a description <laughs> of pure horror. Well, you've got like Lovecraft is all about not not describing shit, right? <laughs> True. That's his. That's his life. Strength for the low, low price of your entire soul. <laughs> yeah, love it. But it would have a it would have a little um, umbrella in it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, little squids printed on it, floral <laughs> yeah. around them. So- oh, now I want to get those. <laughs> I, I've Here always I've always loved the um, those little umbrellas that actually work. You know, they go up and down in the drink. Yeah. Oh yeah, the little cocktail ones. Yeah. So they make fantastic uh, little scenery for uh, miniatures as well. You've got that they do. Scene. That they do. Right. So, how about you tell us a bit about yourself? <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I am Jack Caesar, part of Caesar Inc. Uh, we are a new company, or an old company, depending on which way you uh, <laughs> slice it. So, essentially, we've sort of been freelancing, doing game design um, and illustration and writing for various other companies in the TTRPG, board gaming, miniature games space for 10 years, sort of on and off. We've worked sort of full-time jobs in the industry around that and done sort of bits and bobs in and around. But our sort of freelancing name has always been Caesaring. In the last six months, we've actually dived into creating Caesar Inc. as a company, a, a real company that makes real products, and our first product in that company is Doomsong, Lord Have Mercy Upon Us, uh, a TTRPG horror roleplay macabre 
So yeah, my my role in that, as we sort of mentioned a little bit earlier, is is the game designy bit. So um, I've always been fascinated with how sort of theme and mechanics can meld together to create sort of a unique type of story, and that's essentially what my my role is. It's sort of uh, gluing together the the theme and the mechanics to allow players to basically explore the world that we are we are presenting uh, in a way that sort of fits that world and creates a story that uh, that we want to tell. That was such a good answer. The fireworks outside started going off. Cheers, <laughs> <laughs> celebration. Fantastic. I set those up beforehand. So, <laughs> could be kind of scary if you knew where I lived. We always know. <laughs> I actually just set up fireworks all across the country. Um, it, was, yeah. it was easier, yeah. Metro recreation of the Blitz. All for you, Matt. Yay. <laughs> so, what inspired you, Jack, to start writing RPGs in the first place? What was your kind of start point? So, um, Chris and I so that's my brother, one of the other members of Caesar Inc. We have played role-playing games since as long as we can we can remember. But I honestly never actually, and this is such a sort of um, full of yourself <laughs> game designery thing. But like we never played a real role-playing game as in a proper published one. We'd heard of them, and I think we'd sort of played bits and pieces of them with uh, with friends but we've never actually sort of played by a rule book until uh, I mean for me pretty much until I went to university um, but we've been playing and sort of making our own systems and stuff since since we were growing up and so it's yeah it's always been a part of our our hobby and our our world uh, it's not only the sort of the playing of role-playing games, but the the creation, because uh, that's always been a, a really fascinating thing for me. Um, we, yeah, we basically a lot of it would be very uh, freeform, so it'd be oh, this is the story, and when sort of a combat or a, an important thing turns up, we would often create sort of mechanics on the fly, and then try and stay with them sort of future up that like down the down the land line i have very fond memories of those games and i i remember them being all very mechanically sound and working um completely but i i fully believe that uh, they only worked inside our minds really <laughs> fair enough so what was the first ttrpg you tried pathfinder dnd <laughs> uh, yeah, so the first uh, real RPG designed by someone uh, that wasn't wasn't us, <laughs> that, you know, the ones that are sold for money, um, would have <laughs> been. I'm trying to. I think. I think technically it was someone's mash sort of hack up of uh, Pathfinder to run. A um, uh, Charles Xavier uh, X Men, um, X Men, yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, sort of adventure. Um, 
in a sort of one-shotty couple of sessionsy thing at a at a thing at university. But for a lot of that, those early years, uh, yeah, Pathfinder um, first edition, um, some D and D three point five, which are very similar in in scope, and then a smattering of sort of Savage Worlds and, and other other little bits and pieces. Fair enough. So, going on to the going on to the doom song uh, doom song <laughs> topic. This is bloody carbon. I can't shift it. <laughs> what are the core mechanics or system that you have created for your game? So, uh, the the sort of core resolution system is the so it's fairly simple in that the GM basically picks the difficulty for a task, then the player tries to basically get away with whatever they can and says, oh, I have this trait and this trait and this trait. Are those going to help? Traits are essentially very loose descriptive things about your character. So your character might be burly or they might be literate or they might be sharp-eyed or something. And so basically the player will say, oh, I'm burly, is that going to help out with this check? And if it's something to do with, you know, lifting something or doing something that requires sort of physical strength, then yes, of course it'll help. There are other sort of bonuses that are added in for for allies and having the right gear and that sort of thing. And then you roll a single d6 if you are sort of making the check standard as... You know, you're not under any particular time pressure, but you also don't have oodles of time, and so it's a check you can retake and that sort of thing. Uh, focused or hasty, which are the opposite of those. So, focused is, you know, you you have your time to to take the check, sort of however you like, and hasty is you are rushed in some way or suffering some disadvantage. Uh, speaking of disadvantage, that basically works like the advantage system in uh, in Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition, in that if you're focused, you're rolling two dice and taking the highest, if you're hasty, you're rolling two dice and taking the lowest, and if you're standard, then you're just rolling one die. You add your modifier that you worked out before, and you will either be equal to, above, or below the difficulty of the check. If you're above, you succeeded, excellent. If you are equal, then you succeeded, but at some cost, so... Uh, the tool you're using breaks. Maybe you take a bit of damage. Maybe um, some enemies nearby sort of notice your your location. Fair enough. If you roll below the thing, then you fail with a cost, and so you didn't manage to do what you wanted, and you and you also get a uh, a bad thing happen. At the very end of that, so after you've sort of found out what your result could have been, it's kind of like the multi hole problem. Once you find out what your problem could have been you get the chance to flip the Doom coin, which is a, uh, a tool in the game that basically it's a, it's a coin, heads or tails. If you flip heads, then your result gets better, maybe even a critical success. And if you flip tails, your result gets worse, maybe even a critical fail. Um, and the idea behind that is it's a little interesting way of basically ensuring the worst failures are not just you rolled a one, there you rolled a one and then you were greedy, you, you tried to you know push it, you tried to flip this coin, and so when you die, which is often the result of a critical fail, or you know a spiralling result of a critical fail, then you kind of have no one to blame but your own hubris. 
So, uh, Jay, I see that killing you very oh, quickly. So. Hey, I haven't yeah. rolled the doom coin once. I have been very well behaved for that. <laughs> uh, Man, maybe that's the reason you survived. <laughs> I do like how it's like it still leaves some stuff to chance. What you roll does matter, but at the end of the day, you dig your own grave with the doom coin. Yeah, and it's uh, it's basically and. Uh, <laughs> Different GMs are definitely uh, definitely different, but uh, for me, I find a lot of GMs need sort of prodding towards being vicious, being cruel. Matt does uh, not need that. Do not give into. Matt prodding to be cruel. <laughs> so no, I don't need any encouragement. Neither does Toucan, to be honest. <laughs> Excellent. Um, but this sort of does give give uh, players or GMs who sort of would maybe try and err on being kind. It's it's this like no you don't get to be because they've flipped the coin they've made the choice and you have to not only think of something bad for a cost but now you have to think of something worse than that for a critical fail uh, it sort of has this that building building tension building uh, consequences fair enough it is a very unique way of doing things speaking of unique things Dim Song's character creation is very interesting it kind of reminds me of. Uh, old choose your own adventure books. How did you come up with it? Mm. Um, so we were kind of in, inspired by Traveller, um, which is uh, a, a role-playing game where it has a fairly similar um, character creation system. Uh, it's sort of less uh, path-based like ours. So ours is very much sort of do you choose option A, B, or C? Uh, Traveller is much more, do you choose option A, B, C, D, E, F, G, or do you stay in this current role of this and that and the other? And so we, we sort of tried to pair it down, make so there's sort of more choices in a row, but they're generally between one and two. And the reason we sort of went down that route is because it we, we were sort of shopping around for a way to solve the problem in horror role-playing games where with character creation where we wanted something lethal we wanted something where you could you know die at the flip of a doom coin and there's sort of two ways to go about character creation for that kind of game because in horror you want to love your character you want to care whether they die and so if you have a character creation that's quite intricate quite sort of trying to pull you know pull at the heartstrings make you think about your character's wants and needs and this that and the other then what you can end up with is quite a long and protractive character creation that's asking quite a lot of sort of mental load from the player, which is great because at the end they end up with something they care about, but they've just spent an hour doing that, which means that it, it's a much bigger problem if they die in, you know, in an hour. So, you know, you're spending half of your life making characters. The other sort of way of doing it is making a very simple character creation, which is just, you know, Choose, choose six stats, go, you're done, you know, name your fighter if you get to second level. Um, and so the problem with that is you end up with very disposable characters that you don't have any connection to. So the sort of choose-your-own-adventure path system for creating characters was a way of trying to have our cake and eat it, basically. You know, it's very quick. Once you've, once you've sort of grokked the system, it takes ten minutes to make a character but your character has a full story and a history and a, a life and wants and needs and like it's it's so 
fun watching people make characters in that system, and we're really excited to share the sort of the full ninety uh, path system, basically, because you end up with this like you watch people sort of making these connections and these these cogs and going, oh, oh, what would what would I do? Oh, I'd become a sailor, or I'd go down this and, <laughs> and sort of coming out the other end and going, oh, I was a bit of a scumbag, wasn't I, or or something like that. <laughs> That should be our next party name, Matt. Scumbag Squad. <laughs> a bit of a scumbag. <laughs> I think that should be all of our party names if you're going down that route. It's a common theme. Running through that uh, character creation a few times now, it is very easy to get a handle on. It's it's really quite well done. I must applaud you on that one. Ah, excellent. And, um, the, the biggest problem we have with it, um, which is completely solved but with the end one is that at the moment in that sort of demo version like you do often end up with the similar like roots through that uh, through mm. that creation and we're really really excited about like because that that completely disappears once every table is is six six different options um yeah so that, that well, that's really, fair that especially really if it's a out. demo oh. you can't expect it to be oh yeah we, <laughs> for, for the demo it is huge the amount of things we had to like cut out and cut our darlings and try and get this thing down to a, a svelte 120 pages. Yeah, just <laughs> a, 120. Just a 120. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the same size as some other role-playing games. So, working with the others in tow and creating all these strange, wonderful abilities and items and such, how do you go about your job in balancing that so it's fair as it were or unfair depending on how you want to do it yeah so we've actually found and we've we've made different games with different ethoses we've made games uh for for kids for very sort of um casual casual play things that are a bit sort of grittier and crunchier and sort of balance for us it's it's sort of of the of the three like things you care about when when making this sort of thing where you've got like balance you've got theme and you've got how fun the actual thing is to play like balance is almost always kind of at the bottom of those three um, and accessibility as well um, so the the fun accessibility of uh, of the thing uh, is to play then like so balance is always honestly our least like least important pillar uh, it is something that we we obviously try and try and think about um, but sort of an ethos with Doomsong especially in the character creation is that it is not fair you can go through that character creation lose an arm and have spent your whole life as a as a beggar and you know had had the world just kick you about and then you come out the other end and you become a you become a grave digger, you join the guild, and like you are you are a wreck, you are a husk. And you can have another character who was born privileged, joined a cult, became a witch and now has superpowers. And so Living the it's it's very much a Yeah, it's very much about being unfair. But the important thing for us isn't balance, because balance can be very boring. You know, a, a game where you know, two players 
flip a coin and whoever flips the most heads wins. Like, that's a very balanced game. It's just not fun. Um, so what's more important than balance is making sure that everyone has options and things are cool um, and sort of interesting. So that's sort of where uh, those abilities come in. The, the traits we try and make as flavorful as possible. Some are definitely more useful than others. Some are downright negative 90% of the time. Some are, you know, really positive. Uh, honestly, at the moment, um, Spry is uh, definitely one that uh, people can can tweak into being, you know, helpful for so many different tasks and so many different things. Um, so, essentially, there is this. So, to actually sort of answer the answer the question a bit more, uh, a bit less evasively, there's sort of two main ways that we balance stuff. Um, is one in the numbers in the math. So there's the obvious, like if something's giving a plus one and something else is giving a plus two, then the plus two is obviously better. So it needs to be harder to get or have some stipulation on it that makes it more difficult to use. Uh, and then there's the scientific. So that's the sort of the mathematical and the theory crafting. And that's the really, uh, not, not easy, but that's the mo more common way. And that's how you'll see a lot of people focus on balance in like websites and forums and, and in the online space. You'll get tons of people sort of talking about whether this card or that card or this you know, ability or that ability is better. And they're often talking in this, this nebulous open space when the science is actually like the experimentation, playing in game, seeing, oh, is this thing actually, actually overpowered? Or is it, you know, creating the experience that we want and therefore it's working? There's, um, Kind of an interesting thing about the barbarian in in Dungeons and Dragons, who's very powerful. That 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 rage ability, where they take half damage from everything and they get bonuses to attack and stuff, kind of does often mean they're better than a fighter. Like they're they're just hardier and better at hitting and this that and the other. The downside to that is quite often the kinds of players who want to play a barbarian get themselves killed like they they rush into enemies they <laughs> they play in a barbarian-y way and that means that they die and so actually the fact that their character has an ability that on paper is more powerful than the fighter's ability kind of kind of balances itself and we find that um in in doomsong quite often the the mo more powerful a character is the more cocky they get oh for sure it's a very quick way to quick way to die. Mm, <laughs> so there is one thing because it was a demo obviously our time playing the game has been incredibly fun but also a little short. We haven't really had a look at how character progression is going to go. Whether it's going to have some sort of level up thing much like D&D does and a lot of TTRPGs or whether it's going to be something else. Yeah well uh, something else. <laughs> Um, so character, uh, character progression is quite interesting in Doomsong um, at the moment. There's some systems in, in work and we are sort of playtesting some longer games to try and make sure that we, we get that. Because that is quite a hard thing to, to playtest in the scientific way because, you know, to work out if the system works, you've got to play a campaign. And so, you know, you're spending tens or twenty hours um, into you know, playing a few characters, getting them leveling up and stuff, whereas the character creation is something that's much easier to take 15 minutes. So um, so we are still sort of in the in the testing and, um, and refining step of that stage. 
but it is looking very cool. And the way it works is essentially during downtime, which is uh, what you call a sort of long rest in uh, in D anD D. Once you you know you've got your camp set up and you you spent you've got the bacon on the stove and got some time to sort of spend to yourself, uh, you can take one of several uh, downtime activities, and these are really quite broad things. Um, uh, one of the, the the things that you can do is to train. Uh, you sort of pick what kind of thing you're trying to train. So, are you you know dueling with one of your friends to try, or one of your party members to try and sort of get yourself better at combat, uh, or are you reading, poring over books and sort of learning about about the world that you inhabit, or are you sort of sneaking through the forest and trying to trying to get better at sort of skullduggerous activities? So you choose sort of one of these things, and uh, you make a check. You roll on a table. Um, if you fail at this check, then you gain the condition. Oh, I, I've been training this thing, which gives you a bonus the next time you try and train at that thing. But if you succeed at that check, then uh, you'll get uh, the chance to spend your XP on an ability uh, or or a new trait, or sort of to to make a trait you already have defining and better. And so what this means is that whilst character creation uh, progression isn't random, because you always have the option of not spending your XP on that, so you can always wait until the thing you want turns up. But it is it is still about presenting opportunities, and it's this, okay, you're going to train this thing, here's a couple of options for what you can spend your XP on. You spend your XP, you gain a new ability, or you upgrade an ability you already had, and now your character is better, but it's not really something you could have planned for. So something that we like wanted to avoid was the D&D thing of at level one, you might have planned your character out sort of ten levels in advance. You go, okay, you know, I'm going to take five levels in fighter to get the extra attack, and then I'm going to dip into barbarian for the rage or something like All that. All those good min-maxers. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, and so we sort of want to throw a wrench into that. Like, you can still think that way, but actually, if you're waiting for this perfect skill that you want to come up in the training, then you might be waiting a few times. You know, each each downtime is a full day. It's it's a fair amount of time, unless you're traveling sort of long distances across the map. Um, so you sort of... And whilst you're trying to train this other thing, you're being given opportunities to upgrade your skills and so yeah it's a it's a, a mix of we're always trying to sort of walk the tightrope between random and by too much choice so we find that when players are given sort of a few cool options then that that breeds really interesting sort of choices and, and sort of you, you start to think, oh, how was how will my character grow out of this, rather than sort of, especially with new players, going, okay, choose one of these 20 feats. Ah! <laughs> okay, well, I've got to read them all, and I've got to decide which one's better for my build, and, and see how they work together and stuff, whereas actually going, okay, roll a die, okay, you've got, to pick, you've got to pick one of these two feats, one of these two things, and that becomes a much sort of easier process. And it means that we can do really exciting things with how uh, witches and stuff level up as well, because they don't just spend XP and get better at their abilities. They've got to basically do stuff for their god. They've got to 
you know, uh, their, their gods have uh, wants and needs, and those needs need to be fulfilled. Some of them are dark and insidious, some of them are downright charitable. But you have to appease your god rather than just, you know, training with a, a sharp stick. So um, it allows us to sort of inject a lot of flavor, not only into the creation like we already have with the, um, the paths, but into the actual sort of progression as well. Um, so you previously touched on about the Doom Coin and the like critical fails, critical successes. How did you kind of come up with that idea? What was your um, like your handle on the combat mechanics? So essentially, the the very early draft of uh, of what became Doom Song was called its working title was uh, "What If Everything Was Tables." <laughs> and essentially, it was this idea of actually creating a dynamic sort of table-based role-playing system, um, which you can see there's still a lot of tables in the uh, in the game, and they we, we've tried to make sure that all of the tables in the game are aiding play rather than sort of taking you out of the game and you know flipping through a book and finding page 41b to roll on table A and all of that stuff. But that. The original was sort of much closer to, to that, and we've, we've created a much more sort of fluid system from that. And one of the ideas that came up was essentially this, this push-your-luck mechanic um, uh, that, we've, that we enjoy in games like um, Forbidden Lands uh, has it, and it creates very tense situations. The earliest sort of version of it was... Um, uh, so essentially, you you roll your d6 on a on a d6 table. So it used to be that all the tables were were d6 tables, essentially one to six, um, and your skills maybe gave you extra dice on that rather than um, uh, the 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 modifier system that we're on now. Um, you'd roll your your dice, you'd you'd get a result, and then you could push it. And we had a special die that had basically plus one, plus two, and plus three on it. Uh, minus one, minus two, and minus three on it. Um, so a d6 with minus three to plus three. And so to push it, you basically rolled that and added that or minus that from your from your result, which was mechanically fine. That that mechanically did the did the trick and it did the job. Um, and Chris basically uh, just felt that it didn't bring you into the world, and so. We sort of reworked it, reworked it, and eventually we brought it down to this uh, this coin. Um, so the, the sort of the intermediary stage was the coin, and you basically bid a number. You were like, "I'm going to flip for three. I'm going to flip the coin, and, and I'm choosing three. So if it's heads, I get plus three to my roll, and if it's tails, I get minus three. Um, and then eventually we we came to this this system that we uh, that we have now, which works much simpler has a lot more a lot less maths in it because um, that's actually a really like difficult thing for for me when I'm uh, when I'm designing because uh, I I've played a lot of role playing games and I've I've I do a lot of the sort of oh plus three to that oh plus two because of that and roll this and and sort of especially when you're very familiar with a system that stuff becomes much easier to to do on the fly and and you sort of start to forget that 
for a lot of people, this is their first game, and so you really have to get a handle on yourself, cut out 90% of what you're doing, make it simpler, make it simpler, make it simpler, always make it simpler, um, because the simpler it is, the more complexity that the players can end up sort of pushing into the uh, into the game, and the less busy work they're doing, trying to sort of you know solve a, a spreadsheet equation, whilst uh, get actually down to uh, playing with the numbers and actually going, oh, I want a plus two for this reason, rather than just having to try and work out, you know, wrestle with the system. The system should always be trying to get out of the way. So essentially, we always wanted to push your luck mechanic, and the coin became a way of simplifying, 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 and now it's this razor's edge, you know, is it going to be great, is it going to be bad, uh, which works really well for us. We have some questions from our audience, the live audience of Kimba. Uh, for those listening to this, if you join our Discord and show up when we do interviews in the events channel, you get to add questions into the interviews sometimes. Uh, so, first one is, obviously, since the dead aren't moving on, undead are a thing. What other kinds of creatures might be encountered in Dinsong? So, there's, like, there's kind of two camps of creatures. There's the horrible monsters that live in Paynim, uh, of which man is the workman. <laughs> and then there are the horrible monsters that specifically live within Leaf. The Lost Kingdom of Leaf, uh, the Plaguescape, which is where the the first adventure is set. So there are a lot of very unique sort of monsters in Leaf that are sort of one-off, bespoke creatures of horror that you discover. You you sort of work out what their deal is. You maybe die to them, um, and then work out how to either avoid, destroy, or just survive <laughs> whatever their whatever their deal is um, one that we uh, were messing around with uh, the other day that I find quite interesting uh, is the Natmara so they are like uh, wolf-like creatures uh, with the heads of women and how they oh yes in your live stream yeah we uh, were talking a bit about that uh, on the live stream and essentially they eat dreams so they will hunt the players, but they won't sort of approach them directly. They'll just stay nearby, wait till the wait till the party sleeps, and then eat their dreams. And that is detrimental. It means you can't sleep properly. You get bad conditions. If you already have those bad conditions, like tired and exhausted, then you gain traits and you know haunted, and you start losing your sort of. Um, mental traits, so you start losing like who you are, your humanity, uh, and then if you have none of those left, you're just like this husk of who you are, and you s are still haven't dealt with them, then they just destroy your, your psyche, then they come over and eat your flesh, like once they've, once they've destroyed <laughs> you utterly. Um, and so this, the Natmara are like this persistent hunter that will take days to kill you. Like, you, you can carry on your adventures, you can do other stuff, but they're just going to be there, and they're just going to be waiting for you to sleep. And so, like dealing with them is this like you have to go out and find them. Uh, they're really interesting uh, monster. But uh, one that you guys might not have heard of. Um, this is just a side note. But yeah, I have just, noticed uh, how much of 
themselves creatures and gods and such when we were talking with Morgan are based on folklore and I really like how thorough it gets with that. So the Natmar mm. I believe are right. Finnish folklore? So yeah, them. Morgan is definitely um, the the expert on, on that one. I just think so it's cool. the Plaguescape sort of came out of her mind. Uh, she is to, to blame for for all of these uh, these horrible creatures, um, so yeah, she's just um, uh, yeah done so much work on the uh, what you call it research, the studying, uh, putting that that doctorate <laughs> to good use. Um, I think so. One of the other the other creatures that I find uh, quite interesting is the lace workers in general. So lace workers uh, are very similar to the spiders of our world, uh, except they are gigantic. And where we sort of split off from, you know, a giant spider is a, a classic monster. That's a, you know, you find those at, at level two and slice them apart, and that's great. Um, so we sort of, we mess about with them in a few ways. The first is something that I actually try and do whenever I'm running spidery stuff in, in games, is... Their stats are actually terrible. Like, if you're fighting, if you if you're up against a, a lace worker, you have a sword. You know, you can see them, and you've got the chance to attack them. You're probably going to win that fight. You know, it's Bilbo versus the uh, <laughs> um, versus the spiders of Mirkwood. Spiders are not creatures of combat. They're not fighters. They're ambush hunters. So all of their abilities are to do with staying hidden, separating you, and basically working out a way of creating a puzzle out of the encounter. So the spiders in the Plaguescape uh, don't weave webs, they weave bulge matter, which is like this uh, flesh substance that uh, is creeping its way through the Plaguescape. It's the body of rot, one of the traitor gods. Um, and so uh, their sort of uh, uh, things, uh, their webs are actually muscular. They're they pull and they they move and they they'll sort of whip you out and, and whip you to some someplace different or they'll try and crush you yeah. and sort of actually like break your bones within the within the web. Then there's uh, portal web uh, lace workers who can actually sort of create webs that lead in, sort of interdimensionally through the uh, through the world. So if you end up sort of trapped in one of their places, you're like a hundred feet away. You're like or half a mile or and suddenly you're dealing with these spiders alone and, and separated from your group. And then there are the razorweb spiders who... Um, razorback spiders, sorry. Um, razorback lace workers uh, who have basically monofilament uh, webs that don't catch. They, they cut. So if you sort of move through their webs, you'll just... It's, it's like the, uh, the scene in in every late 90s sort of <laughs> sci-fi thing where you're sort of going through the, the laser grid and then you fall to cubes um, yeah. that sort of thing so, oh Resident Evil yeah 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 <laughs> yeah um, dude this is sounding more and more horrifying it's sounding better and better give me in on this <laughs> oh yeah don't get me wrong it's better but uh, it's hot like webs made of muscle oh. I think it's doing that scenarios <laughs> that look like that and I love it <laughs> yeah, ask him said two kinds of people. And oh yay, more please. <laughs> oh, 
just I'm just imagining it now like a spider web in the corner of your room is made of muscle. There's a particular way of depicting flesh in some older horror games where it looks kind of like I don't want to say cheese, but like cheese pulled over stuff, <laughs> but like gory. Hmm. That's oh, why I'm envisioning yeah. the ass. <laughs> uh, speaking of horrors, there are a lot of quite horrible gods. They're not nice guys in Dim Song. And is all magic in Dim Song, as far as players go, and I guess NPCs to an extent too, going to be kind of clerical, where calling on the gods for powers rather than having it innate? Yeah, so uh, essentially there's kind of uh, miracles and magic come from from the traitor gods. They are their domain is 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 magic, essentially. They they're the only ones who who have any power beyond the physical rules of the world. That being said, the physical rules of the world are not quite the same as, as our world. So there are sort of some disciplines that are a bit like magic, so there's alchemy, for example, uh, where the effects of alchemy can be you know, creating uh, substances that sort of burst into flames and create sort of napalmy like like things, or sheath weapons in flame and that sort of thing, or uh, sort of balancing the humors to bring out sort of people's strengths and dampen their their weaknesses and things. So you've got like this sort of potion esque or um, magical thing, but in the rules of the world, it's science. You know that is actually how the world works. It's not a, a, a magical effect because all magic is the realm of witches, and all witches are tied to some traitor god. That's sort of how they get their get their magic. And what that means is that throughout the game, when you sort of see something and it breaks the laws of reality, you sort of know that it's in some way tied to the traitor gods. It might not be working for them, but it will be gifted power by them, or a creature of sort of a favoured creature by them. And that's sort of information that you can use in the game. So for example, the lace workers that I was mentioning earlier, uh, they are creatures of chance. So chance basically loves lace workers. She is uh, she's crazy for him. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the queen of gilded lace. And so, essentially, you know that sort of all lace workers in the world are, especially the magical ones, are sort of gifted those powers by chance. And so, if you're a witch of chance, then you shouldn't really be killing them. They're they're beloved by your your goddess. And if you're not a witch of chance, then you sort of know that that might piss chance off. If if you end up sort of in a situation where that matters. So you've got this kind of twist and pull of because everything magical is kind of tied to uh, the traitor gods in some way, um, there are also sort of lesser dreads and sublimes, which aren't the, the traitor gods that you worship, but they're sort of offspring of those gods um, that have magical, magical abilities. But everything sort of comes from that font that sort of leads up in this family tree that we've got, uh, all the way to, to the immortal at the very top who uh, provides no miracles because they are dead. <laughs> so, we've discussed a little bit about the uh, the Greeblies and the Nasties and stuff that are inhabiting the world of Doomsong. 
how about some of the more nicer characters? Are there NPCs and what kind of rules do you have for them that are spread out throughout the world of Doomsoul? So, yeah, NPCs are definitely uh, varied in how useful or nice <laughs> they are. Um, ranging from, like, actually fairly, like, noble, um, which is always a, a dangerous thing to be in the realm of Leaf. Uh, generally, sort of, the more noble something is in this world, like, the more tragic that setup is. So there's there's characters that have been cursed by the by the world, characters who sort of were around when the when the plaguescape was created, and they might be you know uh, noble or chivalrous or power um, uh, brave and good, but they've been warped in some way. Uh, whether their essential nature has been changed or whether they are now just trapped in some way. Uh, so uh, there's one character essentially who, uh, due to the way the curse works, essentially couldn't be killed, but they are an enemy of uh, of the uh, of Father Plague, and so their their mind has been taken. Basically, their their mind has been completely taken away from them. They they've been driven uh, driven mad. And so that sort of sets up this character who is on your side, but how useful they can be is is definitely limited. We always wanted, we always want PCs, sorry NPCs, to be on the sidelines for whatever reason. So, sort of the if an NPC is super powerful and on your side, then there's going to be some reason they're not going to be the limelight because you're the you're the main characters. You are the heroes. Might not be the right term, but you are the protagonists. Um, so the main sort of hub of NPCs is the is in the guild hall uh, that the grave diggers sort of come from. Uh, each player has a um, uh, has a profession that they they can choose. So, for example, there's the uh, the rook is uh, essentially the the guild hall's master of birds and so you can you can be the rook as your your character and the rook essentially has a load of quests throughout the the plaguescape so you know you want to um befriend the valraven collect pigeons uh deal with the bird catchers and that sort of thing and every time you sort of tick off one of these quests then you get new powers. Uh, and your powers are very mundane. It's all about sending messages throughout the plaguescape with your, with your pigeons or you know, leaving ravens to guard stuff and that sort of thing. Um, but what that means is that, uh, that that sort of isn't tied to your character. It's tied to the, the guild hall. So you don't necessarily need to be the one who is the rook. You could have an NPC be, be your rook. Um, and you can sort of build up these characters within the, the guild hall and because they're sort of mechanically helping you out you, you grow to care about them um, only for them to and be ripped away sort of sure. this hub <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so you've got this sort of hub of npcs which is sort of we never say how many are there because of course every time one of your characters die you bring on a new character and they they come from the from the guild, so you've got this sort of, in game terms, infinite pool of uh, of people. But in the in the world, it feels much more uh, 
um, tenuous. <laughs> Fair enough. I can see Dim Song inspiring a lot of people to want to create, to be honest. It's so unique, it's so far out from the more popular TTRPGs, and it's a lot of fun. So are there any like guidelines you'd have for people that want to create things to like add on? Whether it's monsters or classes or anything else? Yeah, so we so we have then our um uh, in the main book, we have sort of two uh, two sections that are basically built out about creating creating NPCs, creating uh, monsters, and creating guilds. So essentially, the way character creation works is you you go through all this path, and then at the very end of character creation, you join the, the guild. And in uh, Lord Have Mercy Upon Us, that is the the Gravedigger's Guild. And so you join the Gravedigger's Guild, you get some sort of abilities for doing that, you get a pile of equipment to, to share amongst you, and you get all of this sort of gravediggery stuff. But in future adventures, or in adventures that you create in, in your own game, you might want to sort of ex- have a different guild. You might be a guild of mercenaries, or a guild of witchfinders, or uh, something along those lines. So we sort of give... Um, advice for creating your own guild and how like what the important things are how how well equipped is this guild like you could have you could have a guild of templars that literally everyone gets plate armor and a greatsword and suddenly your game is like much less challenged by physical combat but maybe there's there's other sort of challenges that that come around so there's there's guilds and the important thing about Doomsong, or one of the important things, is that it's that guild story. So we create a lot of characterful stuff around our guild, the, the Gravedigger's Guild in um, in Leaf, and we really sort of push the GM if they are creating their own guild to do the same. Like you should create this characterful thing. It shouldn't just be uh, choosing a uh, a background in, <laughs> or a, a class. It should be this interwoven thing throughout the whole uh, whole game. And the other sort of tools that we have are creating a monster. Um, because in uh, Doomsong there's, there's tons of sort of bespoke monsters and we sort of we have a, a formula isn't the right the right term, but we have a, a way of creating our monsters. Essentially that, that action block uh, six six abilities they can use um, that can be used in and out of combat. And then like their their traits their toughness and uh, and defense and sort of this this way of building an NPC that creates something that is mysterious to the players but unique to that that monster and once you're sort of down with that that system of creation you can honestly like do it fairly easily yourself and so yeah we definitely uh, want people creating their own monsters. Probably try and wrap this up a little bit now. Um, with Doom Song coming out in ten days from this recording on oh, the seventeenth <laughs> October, <laughs> putting a deadline on it for you, buddy. What are your hopes and what are your plans for afterwards when you inevitably will succeed? <laughs> well, uh, like, so we've been spending the last few months essentially 
talking about Doomsong, and whilst we have been working on on bits and pieces and refining stuff, uh, it's definitely been about trying to get the word out. And so, I'm honestly really excited to to get back into the mines <laughs> and to get back uh, into the sort of the refining and finishing uh, portion of the uh, of the project. So once once we get funding, then uh, we can basically do that do that process uh, layout and finishing and um, getting everything uh, basically sorted for printing along with all the um, little sort of deluxe pieces that are available in the Kickstarter. So yeah, honestly, it's going to be it's going to be a lot of work, but it's going to be a, a lot of different type of work, which is definitely. Uh, something that we we very much enjoy that, that creative and sort of um, nose to the grindstone bit of the uh, bit of the work. So uh, yeah, very much looking forward to that. Once we have created uh, Doom Song, once that's off off with the printers, then uh, depending on the on the success, because uh, we do still do a fair amount of uh, freelance work and uh, service work for other companies, uh, which. Uh, if anyone's interested in hiring Caesar Inc., they certainly can. Go check us out at caesar.inc. And um, <laughs> uh, basically, the, there is more, there is much more of uh, Doomsong planned. Uh, new campaigns to explore, new regions, new areas of Paynim. And we are looking forward to just tearing apart this world, really, really destroying it, and uh, bringing forth that apocalypse. There's. Uh, uh, as you may know, Pestilence is uh, one of the uh, the horsemen of the apocalypse, first horsemen of the apocalypse, and uh, there are there are more to come. Well, when obviously Dumsong's not fully out yet, but having seen the demo, we are super excited to see how this goes, experience the full game and whatever else in the universe that you come up with. And yeah, uh, very much looking forward to bringing it out. <laughs> Yes, well, <clears throat> thank you very much for your time, Jack. Um, I would say if there's anywhere that people can find you, but you did already plug your thing in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I suppose if there is anyone that does want to hire Caesar Inc., well, go to their <laughs> website. Uh, Jack, is there anywhere people can find you specifically? Uh, honestly, best way at the moment is uh, on the on the Kickstarter. So uh, if you if you find the Kickstarter, search Doom Song into Google, and we're we're pretty high up there on the uh, on the SEO. That is the best way to find us and what we're what we're doing at the moment. We're also on Twitter under Caesaring at Caesaring. So uh, find us there and you can give us a prod, give us a chat, and uh, yeah, look forward to hearing from you. Ooh. Links will be in the description below. Thank you very much for your time. This has been a Pantacthulu with Jack from Caesar Inc. And we are signing off. <laughs> <laughs>